0: ask you to turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 20. As always, I appreciate Kevin and Scott leading us in worship, choir, team. What a privilege it is to be able to preach after the Lord has uh, graciously allowed us to worship Him and praise Him. So I'm uh, thankful for that. This morning we're going to conclude our series, Death and Life, as we've been looking over this over the last... Five weeks now, considering all that Christ Jesus taught about death and life, subjects uh, absolutely of the highest importance to us. So it's been right that we've spent some time here. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 20 and the report of one of the disciples uh, given to us by John that is, of course, named Thomas. Thomas, uh, many refer to him as Doubting Thomas. And so you are familiar with this passage, I am sure. God has blessed me graciously to be able to preach in many different places. And several times, uh, many times really in my life, I've been able to preach in places where the name of Jesus has not been proclaimed before. So I'm able to present the gospel to ears that maybe have never heard it, seen it. And when that happens, you can clearly see that everybody there listening is responding. They're responding in some way to this message. And as I've considered this throughout the years, really, and I'm not the only one that has come up with this or is not new to me, but I really see, you can really see when they hear that gospel message, you can see four different responses. Sometimes you see just plain indifference. As they hear the message proclaimed, they think, "This, this isn't for me, I don't care about this. This isn't what I need. This isn't what I'm looking for. I don't know, to worry about this. I got other things to do. And they tune you out and they head off to lunch or something else. The next is rejection. They're not just indifferent to it. They outright reject it. They hear it. They hear the message and they say that's not for me. I don't want that. I don't even believe that to be true. I'm looking to other places and to other things. So they outright reject the gospel. Third would be some sort of what I call intellectual assent, if you will. They hear the message and they think that may be true, that may be right, or even agree with the facts that you're presenting and say that's good. But they just simply say, while it's true and right, I'm not going to follow him. I assent that it's true, I believe that it's true, but I'm not going to follow this Jesus. And then finally, fourth, of course, are those that believe. They believe, not only do they believe the facts of the gospel, but they recognize that Jesus Christ came and died for them. And they give their life to Christ and seek to follow him. Our passage this morning deals with just this very thing, how to respond to Jesus and the gospel. And what I would say to each and every one of you this morning is as you hear the gospel proclaimed today, you will have a response. The gospel demands a response. Every single person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice, you are responding. Some of you may have already checked out. That's indifference. You don't care. This is not for you. Some of you may reject the gospel outright. You've been, you've come, maybe somebody invited you, but you hear it and you're going to turn from it. Some of you, many of you may have this intellectual assent. You believe the gospel is true. You just don't want to follow Jesus and you're not following Jesus. But many of you hopefully Hopefully all of you this morning can say, as you hear the gospel proclaimed, I believe. I believe. Either way, every single one of us in this room will respond to the gospel. Every single one of us respond to the gospel every time it is heard. As we read this passage this morning, as we look to this story about Jesus and Thomas, let's see the response that Thomas has together. So let's read John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now, to put this in the context of the passage, remember Jesus, in the beginning of John chapter 20, is the first Sunday of the resurrection. The ladies go to the tomb there, and, and he's not there. Peter and John go, he's not there. Jesus appears to Mary and kind of tells her what's happening. She rejoices. And then that evening, on the first Sunday that Christ was raised, that evening the disciples were gathered together in a room with the door locked, and Jesus appears with them. And he shows them his hands and his feet, and he says, Peace be with you. So that's where we have picked up. Now we find our passage one week later. And so, one week later, after Jesus had appeared to his disciples on that first Sunday after he's raised, it says in verse 24 Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the testimony here of our Savior who gives an invitation to those who doubt and those who struggle. We thank you for Christ who died for us and was raised again. We thank you this morning that we serve a risen Savior. And we've gathered here in this place, Father, to do nothing else but proclaim the name of that Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, we pray that by your Spirit, just as you promised, you will draw all men to yourself. And so God, help us all to recognize this morning that we are responding to the gospel and may the response of every heart be my god my lord my savior all of this we ask in jesus name amen now in matthew mark and luke the first three gospels thomas is just mentioned by name really no details about him or who he is he's called the twin so obviously he probably had a twin you know i would think that would make sense And so Thomas is there, and Thomas is just mentioned by name, and we don't get much about him. But in John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, Thomas kind of pops up several times. Kind of fleshes it out, and we get a feel, I think purposefully for John, I think we get a feel for Thomas's attitude. For who he is and what he does. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. They got supper. He went across the lake. And the next morning, they all followed him and they wanted breakfast. Y'all know how that works. Free supper, we're going to get free breakfast. And so they come to Jesus the next morning, and then Jesus begins to teach them, you think that this is about bread, and you think this is about water that I can provide for you here momentarily. I've come as the bread of life, Jesus says. And he says this very hard statement, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life or any part of me. And when he does that, all of those people that were following him and looking for him turned against him and left. If you remember, he looks at his disciples and he says, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter speaks up. No, we don't have anywhere else to go. And so from that moment on, really, from that moment on, we see a change in the attitude of the people toward Jesus it says several times that they were seeking to arrest him. They were seeking to put him uh, uh, in prison and, and stop him from speaking. In fact, we get to John chapter 10, and we see Jesus making this clear claim that I and the Father are one, stating his deity. And when he states his deity, it says that all of those around him picked up stones and were ready to stone him. Not only now have they gone beyond prison and sit, just arrest him and put him to jail, they want to kill him for his words for what he is teaching and what he is saying. And John tells us that he escaped from their hands, seemingly giving us understanding that, that he just got away alive as they picked up stones to stone him. And so uh, harsh were the people against him that Jesus and disciples did not feel safe. Even in that area, they fled, it says, to the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist had gone into the wilderness to baptize before. And so they had to get out for fear that they would be put to death. So in John chapter 11, they get word that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus tells his disciples he's not just sick, he's he's dead, he's dying. He's dead there. And he talks about this to his disciples, he begins to teach them. And as Jesus is teaching them in John 11, 15, he says that Lazarus has already died and this has happened for you so I can show you my glory but let us go to him. Now, Lazarus was in Bethany. Bethany is right next to Jerusalem. So they're going back into the heart, back into the teeth of those people who were looking to kill him. The ones who picked up stones to put him to death. And it was Thomas at this point explaining all that to give you this sense because Thomas is the one, after Jesus says, let us go to him, he's dead. Thomas is the one who looks at the other disciples and said, let us also go, we're gonna die with him. In other words, Thomas is coming in this not as a doubter here. His attitude was not one of a doubter, but one, as one commentator says, a loyal but pessimistic and somewhat obtuse disciple. Let's go. We're going to die. Let's just might as well do it. Now, y'all know people like that, right? Right? Don't look around. It's a bad bad time to look around. (laughs) But you know them. You know people like, sure, let's go. It's going to die. It's going to be bad, but I'll go with you. That's Thomas's heart. This is going to be bad, but I'll go with you. Let's go. Come on, guys. Let's go. This is a mistake, but let's do it. Willing to go, but he doesn't think it's wise. Again, we find Thomas asking a question in John chapter 14. Almost an exasperated question because Jesus had said several times, I'm going to prepare a place where I'm going. You cannot go. And then in John 14, remember, as we looked at that passage just a few weeks ago, Jesus says, I want to bring you guys some comfort. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying he's going to die. He's saying these things, but let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So where I'm going, you can be with me. And Thomas says, how do we know? You've been saying this all along. How can we get there? We don't know where you're going. We don't even know the way. Thomas almost exasperated with Jesus, but then by his question, allows Jesus to give his famous, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this, I think John is building up for us the character and nature of Thomas's personality. He's showing us one who is loyal but pessimistic. He's showing us one who struggles with some of the things, but he's going to follow. He's going to go. He's going to do it. He's showing us one that gets exasperated sometimes, but at the same time, he's there. He's there. And our passage this morning begins in this way. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, it picks up on the tail end of the report that Jesus and his disciples and how Jesus came to them that first Sunday of the resurrection, as we said. How Jesus appeared to his disciples in that room that first Sunday night, that first Easter Sunday morning. And John tells us in verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. John tells us at this point that Thomas, for some reason, was not there that first Sunday night. Why he wasn't present is not told to us. Whatever excuse it may be, it's not there. And here, by the way, is where we as pastors can insert joke about missing church, right? I I won't do it. Y'all didn't laugh hard enough. It may be offensive. I'm sure he had a good excuse. I'm sure something came up. But you need to understand what's happened here whenever he missed this opportunity. He missed the presentation of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, amongst his people. I don't know why he missed I'm not sure why. But in some way, we need to consider this. We need to consider this as we gather together here. In fact, it tells us a little bit later in verse 26, eight days later, his disciples gathered. The way they did things was to include days. So what he's saying is it's the next Sunday they gathered together again. By the way, this is the reason that we're gathered here this morning. In fact, in fact, for two thousand years, Christians have been gathering on Sunday morning to do what? Exactly what we're doing this morning. Celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Every Sunday, in that sense, is Easter Sunday, right? Every Sunday, we gather together to proclaim Jesus Christ is alive and to sing his glory. And we see the pattern of it set even here. Thomas missed that first Sunday. When you miss church, somebody's got to tell you about it. And if revival breaks out here at Taylor's First, you want to be here, I'm sure. Let me just say this real quick as your pastor. My heart for you is this, that church is not something. Gathering together on Sunday morning is not something you do when you have nothing else to do that what we do here is of top priority for us as believers. What we do here on Sunday morning is what we are bound to, what we long for, what we hope in, and our desire is for your joy is to be gathered together with the saints and to celebrate the resurrected Savior. Even if the preaching's bad, we're glad he's alive, aren't we? And so we gather here for that purpose. Thomas missed it. And so all week, he spent hearing about what happens. He may be mad about it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know those kind of people. Don't tell me anymore about it. Something came up. I couldn't be there. Y'all know he heard the testimony. It says here, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He got a report from the ladies about Jesus. They thought he was a gardener and turned out it was Jesus. And he told them everything that happened. They got a report of how the guards had passed out and the stone was rolled away. Peter told him how he went up in the tomb and found his, his face cloth folded up over here. This wasn't some theft or something some robbery. This was Jesus got up easy and nice and laid this face cloth to the side. Peter told him about all the things Jesus said to them, I'm sure, in all of the disciples. Thomas did not believe the collective words of the apostles. They told him everything. And Thomas said, nope. In fact, not only did he not believe it, not only did he not believe it, he couldn't believe they believed it. He couldn't believe they believed in this thing. When they said, he showed us his hands and his side, Thomas, what did Thomas say? Unless I touch it, I ain't going to believe it. Unless I put my hand in his, I won't believe it. Thomas, not only, not just is he not really a doubter here, he's a determined disbeliever. And in this sense, he puts some stipulations. I will not believe unless I touch his hands and I touch his side. Not only does he not believe, he puts some stipulations on it. He stubbornly rejects the words of his brothers. He stubbornly ju- rejects the testimony of his sisters. He can't believe they believe it. This goes along, by the way, with what we've seen in Thomas's character and nature. I believe John puts those other two passages in there so as to give a sense of who Thomas is and what his personality is. Thomas is one who's looking at life in a pessimistic way. Sure, we'll go, but we're going to die. Sure, we'll do this, or something's going to happen. No way this is true. Surely Thomas also was dealing with what he saw of the last few days, the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. What he's dealing with of how at that moment of Jesus' greatest need, him, like all the rest of the disciples, turned around and ran. And fled. Surely he's dealing with all these things, and Thomas is overcome with his doubt, overcome with his sorrow. And maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you know someone who's overcome with their doubts. Maybe you know someone who's overcome with their sorrows, and they're not going to believe, they're not going to trust, they're not going to believe it unless something happens. Unless something comes here. Unless God does something specific in my life, I'm not going to believe. Surely you have heard that. And that may be you this morning. I need you to know this. I need you to know that Jesus is not mad at you. I need you to know that Jesus is not upset with you. In fact, he welcomes you and he invites you. Even with all your doubts, even with all your skepticisms, even with all your disbelieving, Jesus says, come. Come to me. Come to me if you're weary and you're tired. John tells us of Thomas' encounter here. John tells us of what Jesus does, and I want you to hear the invitation of Jesus this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear the invitation of Christ. Hear what Jesus says. One week later as they gather, Jesus doesn't mind repeating himself to his disciples. He doesn't mind repeating himself to what he's done. The disciples are gathered in a room. If you compare this meeting with the previous meeting, it's the same thing. They gather in the evening. They gathered in the room. The door was locked. And with that locked door, as the disciples are in there, Jesus comes and stands amongst them, taking down any wall. There's no barrier for Jesus Christ to get to you this morning. There's nothing in the place that he can't come through. There's no place that you are he can't be. He is closer to you, brothers and sisters, than your very fingertips. He is only a breath away, as the scripture says. And here Jesus appears to his disciples in the same way. And what does he say? Exactly what he said a week before. Peace be with you. Notice again that Jesus comes in as our great high priest. He's our great high priest who was also the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Dying on the cross, Hebrews nine tells us went into heaven to the holy of holies, not made by human hands, but the one that is in heaven. The real one. The one on earth is just a replica. is just pointing us to the one that is real, where God is in heaven. He went to that off um, altar, and there he sprinkled the precious blood of sacrifice, not bulls and goats. They don't do anything for you. Hebrews nine says, but the precious blood of his own sacrifice, his own blood. And there, as our great high priest, ministering on our behalf half, sprinkling his blood on that altar. The Lord says, the sins of your people are forgiven. And Jesus comes back to his people and he says, peace. What was once strife is now peace. Where you were once far, now you can come near. Where you were once distant, now I have made the way for you to come to come to the Lord. Nothing separates you from God now in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you. It's the same words he said the week before. Just as he brought peace to his disciples, then he brings peace again. And it's almost as if he knows Thomas is in their midst. It's almost as if he knows that there's one there that doesn't believe, because I'm sure he does. And as he steps in, it's proof that Jesus is happy to present himself to you over and over and over and over again. Speaking directly to you, exactly what you need. Jesus comes in, and he doesn't scold Thomas. He doesn't come in and say, where's Thomas at? You don't believe? Here I am, you idiot. Jesus comes in and he says, peace I bring. Peace I bring. Just as he did before. Listen, Jesus, Jesus, my friends, will present himself to you over and over and over again. The proclamation of the gospel has come to many of you over and over and over again. And it does not weary Jesus or tire him out to constantly present himself to you. And how does he present himself? Just as this passage shows us, he presents himself as the resurrected Savior, crucified for us. He displays the marks of his sacrifice. Just as he did before in the previous section, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Here as he comes, it says to Thomas, who had said, unless I, see his hands in the, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into the side, I will not believe. So Jesus comes to him and Jesus presents himself again with the marks of the crucifixion. Jesus presents himself again, not as judge, not as one coming to judge Thomas because of his doubts or disbelief, Not as one who's coming to scold Thomas because he didn't believe the apostles. Not as one who's coming to reject Thomas saying, get out. You had every opportunity you have. Jesus appears again before his his disciples and he looks at Thomas and he says, see, here they are. He presents himself as the living Savior. Remember the great invitation of Christ. Remember what Jesus says When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Remember the great invitation of our Savior. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus says, and I'm coming to you not as the judge, not as one to condemn you, but to one who's bringing life to you. You need to know that he will come as judge one day, but not today. For today, for this moment, for this time, just as he appeared to Thomas, he's appearing to us this morning as our great Savior resurrected, died for us. Jesus presents himself here in this way, not to belittle Thomas, not to punish Thomas, but shows him his hands and his side, for he is gentle and lowly. By the way, you need to know, and I may have said this before already, I've just been here a few weeks and I'll I'll repeat myself, but some stuff's really good. Notice in the book of Revelation, every time John looks up to the throne, what does he see? A lamb standing as though he had been slain. What does that mean for us? What that means for us is not only did Jesus present himself to you when you came to him as a sinner and call you to himself, not only to present himself to you as one who's died for you forever, always, all throughout eternity, while we're in heaven, we will know that the only reason we're there, the only reason we have eternal life, the only reason we have true satisfaction, when we look to the throne, we will know it's because he died for me. Every time you see him, you'll be reminded, that's my savior. And I'm only here because of him. So just as Jesus presents himself to you today, today, and in your life he presents himself for eternity you will always know you're dependent on him you'll always know that you need him you'll always know his, his sacrifice that was everything to you you will always know it but he goes further than that here for thomas not just presenting himself as the one who died he ex- addresses specifically the doubts that thomas has put your finger here he says There's no greater statement, I think. I mean, just think of what the Savior has done. This is the king of the universe. This is the one who made everything by the word of his mouth, right? This is the one who holds everything together. In fact, Colossians says everything, all things, everything is from him, through him, and to him. This is Savior and Lord. This is the one who suffered and bled and died for his people. This is one who raised again. This is one who sits on the throne and his kingdom shall not pass away. It shall never be defiled. It shall always stand forever, amen. And he looks at little Thomas who has a doubt about this and he says, here, put your finger in my hand. The kindness of our Savior is more than we can possibly know and imagine and you need to know, friend, That that kindness that he gives to Thomas, he's extending to you. Here I am. Here I am. Jesus is not worried about your skepticism. Jesus is not concerned about your doubts or whether or not this is true or whether or not he's real. Jesus is not worried about your questions. And what I mean by that is he doesn't just cast them off. That's not what I mean. What I mean is he'll answer them all. He'll meet any doubt face to face. He'll meet any fear you have and he'll meet it head on and say, here I am and what's true. What's true is that Jesus is saying, test me if you want to. Bring your doubts to me, Thomas, if you will. Try me and see if I'm alive. Try me and see if I'm true. Bring your questions. Bring your skepticism. Bring it all. Test me. And we know that Jesus Christ has always proven to be true. And the testimony in this room of those who believe would be the same. I tested him and I tried him, and he's been faithful. I brought my doubts to him, and he met every single one, and I've received way more than I could ever possibly imagine or know. Jesus is enough for me. Jesus says, "Come, bring your doubts, Thomas. Put your finger in my hand. The king of the universe, come, touch me. See that I'm alive. He meets the doubts face to face. Consider the response that Thomas has to get indifferent. You think Thomas can be indifferent in this moment? How could he be? This is the resurrected Savior before you. How could you not care? Rejection? No possible way. He's seen him, he's seen him alive, he's known him, he sees him, and he knows. And if you reject Jesus, he rejects him in this moment. Thomas knows he's rejected everything. He's rejected the one who died for him. He knows that all the saviors of this world are just counterfeit. They're paper. They're not real. It's only this one who died for him. Can't reject him. If you reject him, you've rejected everything. Just a sin? No way. He's standing before him. He knows it's for him. Thomas believes. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine anything more tiresome and provoking than the conduct of Thomas in this passage. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but have you ever tried to save somebody that's drowning and the whole time you're saving them, they're punching you in the face, right? Thomas heard the testimony of the disciples. He'd been with Jesus for three years. He'd heard how he said he was going to rise again. He heard how they said he did. He heard the ladies. He heard them all and he says, no way, I'm not believing. And some of you may be at that point. Some of you may have done that over all of the years. You heard the testimony of your mother and your father your grandparents over and over again. You heard the testimony of the gospel. You heard it and you heard it, but you're simply saying, it's not for me. I'm not believing. Some of you may be here and be just like that this morning. And while it may be hard to imagine anything more tiresome and provoking than the conduct of Thomas, it is impossible, as J.C. Ryle says, it is impossible to imagine anything more patient and compassionate than our Lord's treatment of this disciple. And you need to know God's patience and his kindness is there for you as well. Whatever doubt, whatever skepticism, whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is you're longing for, Jesus says, try me. Here I am. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And just as we must hear the invitation of, Tom, of Jesus, we must believe the confession of Thomas. We must believe that confession. Look to what Thomas says. Note, by, for example, in the first passage, Jesus shows his hands and his feet and they believe the disciples are happy. Thomas says, I'm going to touch him. Maybe he'd heard all week. We saw his scars in his hands and his feet. And Thomas like, did you touch him? You know? So Thomas said, that's what's going to happen. I've got to touch him. But notice in our passage here, When Jesus comes and Jesus invites Thomas, put your hand here, put your finger here, do it. Thomas doesn't seemingly touch him, does he? Thomas is confronted with the resurrected Savior before him and he hears the invitation, welcome and come in. And Thomas doesn't need anything else. All of his doubts have faded away. All of his skepticism has passed on. He's standing in front of the resurrected King and Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And just as we sung earlier today in the first service, Thomas is just like the old hymn. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. No other argument needed. No other plea. All the skepticism and all the doubts fade away when you come to grips with this is who Christ is and this is what he's done and you see him face to face. And so my joy for you this morning is to hopefully by the Spirit's power proclaim Jesus Christ, speak words so that you see him and you see him standing before you, welcoming you in. That's exactly what Paul says. We preach Jesus and him crucified. Our joy is to speak words so that you hear those words and you see Christ for everything that he is. And you hear that invitation and you would respond because everybody's responding to the gospel this morning. Everyone in here is responding to this message. And my hope is that everyone will respond just as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. The highest profession of faith, no greater profession given in John's gospel than the one that we see right here. Not only does he see him resurrected, he says, my Lord, he's committing himself wholly to him out of obedience. I see what you've done for me and I will follow you. Jesus is always in scripture presented as Savior and Lord. Do not believe that you can separate those two from him. You can't have Jesus Savior unless you have him as Lord, unless you seek to follow him. To believe in Jesus is to follow him as your Savior and your Lord. You can't separate those two, but not only that, he says, my Lord and my God, Jesus, he recognizes not just a man, even though he had walked with him for three years and spent time with him, he sees now he's not just a man, he's God himself, true divinity. And this was necessary in order for his sacrifice to accomplish salvation for mankind, to make peace between God and man. Jesus had to be God, the mediator, the priest, who was also the sacrifice Every time Jesus is presented, he is to be presented as Lord and God. And every time he's confessed by a sinner, he is to be confessed as my Lord and my God. Jesus, I need to let you know, Jesus is Lord and God. Whether or not you recognize him or not really doesn't matter to that truth. The hope is, That as Christ has presented himself to us in his word as a sacrifice for our sins, risen, resurrected, crushing death, crushing sin, now Savior and Lord of all humanity, calling men and women to himself, my hope is that you would all say, he is my Lord and he is my God. As he's presented, please don't be indifferent. How could you be? Please don't reject him. There's no other place for you to go. Please don't think you can just say, oh, that sounds good, but I'm waiting to follow him for we're not promised another second. Please know that today you must have that same confession, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to those who have that confession, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. What is your doubt? What are your demands? Let me present to you this morning, friend, a living Savior who died for you. One who is gentle and lowly and not standing right now in judgment over you, not looking to scold you or ridicule you, but is calling you and saying, come to me. If you're tired, you're weary, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the Savior we proclaim, the one who presents himself to Thomas, that meets Thomas's doubts, that meets his fears, that meets his skepticism head on and says, here I am, Thomas. This Savior says, blessed are those who believe and who have not even seen me, Thomas. Why? You're blessed because your sins are forgiven. You're blessed because having dealt with your sins, eternal life is yours now. You're blessed because there's no condemnation for you that are in Christ Jesus. You're blessed because you've been accepted by God. You're blessed because not only have you been accepted, you've been adopted into his family. Blessed are those who believe. Every single person in this room this morning is responding to this message. And I pray, I pray that in your heart, You're saying, my Lord and my God, Jesus, that you believe. Do not disbelieve. Believe. And I have no fear to plead with you. I have no fear to say to you, bring whatever doubt, bring whatever fear, bring whatever you have to Christ. He is everything, and he meets those. And those doubts and fears fade away when we're confronted with his love for us, with his sacrifice on our behalf. Every time the gospel is preached, a response is made. What is yours this morning? Let's pray together. Father, help us today to respond in the same way Thomas responds every day of our life, every moment, God. Help us to respond, my Lord and my God, when we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, some today may be far from you. They may be distant from you. God, I pray. I pray that you'll draw them back to yourself by showing yourself again true. Help them to see as they have heard proclaimed this morning the message of Christ. Help them to see Jesus, Savior and Lord, standing before them, calling them come. Father, some may be skeptical, may have doubts. God, may may they bring those to you as well. And may they find you as the gentle and lowly Savior who's not mad at them, not upset at them, but wants them to know you and follow you. May they come to you this morning, Father. May the testimony of every heart be my Lord and my God. And may each and every person in here know the sweetness of our Savior in an intimate, faithful way. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're here today and you don't know him, you had doubts, you're far from him, you're skeptical of him, come, we'd love to talk to you. If you recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord and you want to follow him, come, we'd love to speak with you. If you'd love to be a part of our church where we proclaim Jesus and proclaim his truth over and over again and live for him, come, we'd love for you to talk with us as we stand together and sing this glorious testimony of the sweetness of our Savior. Let's stand and sing.